The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sport Box. Here are your headlines today. Disappointing jobs data and rising pandemic fears drive U.S. markets lower, capping off a volatile week for equities. The future's pointing to a strong open for the Dow. Protests against COVID passes turn violent in Brussels as European nations broaden measures to combat the Omicron variant. An outgoing German Chancellor Angela Merkel makes it the focus of what could be her farewell address. Ich bitte Sie, Diane. I therefore urge you once again, take this treacherous virus seriously. The new Omicron variant in particular seems to be even more contagious than the previous ones. Good morning, everybody. French Conservatives pick a woman to run for president for the first time as uh, Valérie Pécresse uh, throws her hat into the ring. And crude prices jump after six straight weeks of declines as Saudi Arabia hikes its selling prices to Asia and the United States. And Evergrande's stock slides with the embattled Chinese property developer facing another default deadline today uh, and warns that funds may soon run dry. off another trading week with what seems to be a very mixed picture again as we deal with twin themes here the new variant as we wait for more information although signals over the weekend from Anthony Fauci seem to suggest there was some positive signs around the severity but we are still waiting for confirmation of that from scientists the other big theme though really around a rate shock and last week it was Bank of America talking about the potential for that in 2022 which has us very much focusing on the inflation numbers and the jobs picture Jeff. Yeah, very good morning to you and a very good morning to uh, Steve, I know, who is also uh, working from his home office this morning. Um, And what a delicious uh, non-farm payrolls number out Friday, wasn't it? There was something in it for both sides of the faster tapering argument, although I think by and large, those who believe the Fed will move faster at this point probably are in the ascendancy at this stage. But Steve, I thought it was uh, remarkable that even as we saw a disappointing headline number, um, and there is continued focus on Omicron, obviously around uh, interest rates and growth prospects, the um, inflationary aspect to it looked well behaved, still only 4.8% in terms of uh, average annual hourly earnings. Well, yeah, I'll I'll go with you on this one. Only 4.8%. I mean, listen to the words that are coming out of our mouth uh, as we come out of what hopefully will be a a post-COVID period. Of course, Omicron has uh, uh, led all kinds of questions about that. But only 4.8%. I read another comment on the same ilk uh, in the last uh, 24 hours or so saying, well, not keeping pace with inflation, is it? I mean, not keeping pace with inflation. I mean, inflation at the moment is 6 
6.2%. Or who knows, though, maybe by Friday, we're going to get a 7% print on US CPI, but only 4.8% on average hourly earnings. Listen to what we're saying on this now as well. And one good thing, that well, there were very many good things, actually, in the employment report, if you take out the, uh, the headline figure. And, of course, a 4.2% unemployment rate in the United States it is, is a fantastic figure, down from 4.6. But the participation rate, again, as well, picking up more Americans in the workforce as well. Uh, I, I thought it was a really, really good set of jobs figures. And, and as any longer-term viewer knows, I've been looking at these figures for over 30 years. The fact is, the headline figure is absolutely spurious. Uh, and, and the other point is, as well, you shouldn't trade on the first print on non-farm payroll. It's the same on every piece of data, but do not trade on the headline number uh, on non-farm payroll because the, the detail below is far more important and far more reliable. One more point, Karen. Very good morning to you both, by the way, and especially to you, Karen, who's holding the fort because of uh, my situation today. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, the 10-year yield are on the treasuries there. Well, what is that saying? That is saying something completely different from what we're hearing from the Federal Reserve, completely different from what we're hearing about taper. And I would suggest completely different from everything we're seeing on inflation, jobs, and growth as well. Because if you've got a 1.3 handle now on the 10-year, that's a head-scratcher. Yeah, I just would jump in the point with uh, to have such a big mess in the headline, though. What, 300,000 mess and have the instant reaction from a lot of people saying, well, this number is strong enough if you look at the unemployment rate that we are going to get that uh, faster taper. I think there was quite a strong reaction. The other point is we still don't know how disruptive COVID will be from here. I think we're seeing it around friendship groups, business community, right here in London, that it is still circling uh, very quickly and is still having an impact on day-to-day -day business about going about our activities the way we would if this pandemic we're not happening but same story in the United States as we talk about the jobs market the strength of retail and just what any uh, further restrictions will do to the pace of growth from here and I think in some ways when we have this strong data set we could still be derailed at some point by pandemic information and that's really what we're waiting for Jeff yeah, absolutely. I mean, the ISM number, the services number was very strong. But of course, it all depends on how the authorities react now in terms of uh, Omicron. But let's fill in the blanks here. Let's just go back to that Friday number from the non-farm payroll series. The US job growth figure slowed in November then with non-farm payrolls rising by just 210,000. That's less than half of the Wall Street forecasts and well short of the October figure, the unemployment rate fell to 4.2% from 4.6%. Wage growth continued, although not quite as quickly as the economists were predicting. The labour participation rate in the US is on the rise, but of course total payrolls remain below pre-pandemic levels. Right, let's get back to the uh, COVID story. Initial data from South Africa shows that hospitalizations, now this is really interesting, hospitalizations have not increased due to the Omicron variant. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, this, as the virus continues to spread across Europe, and let's be honest about it, across the globe, and has now been identified in nearly one third of all US states. Now, Dr. Anthony Fauci acknowledged on Sunday that it was too soon to know the full consequences of the new strain, but said he's confident that booster jabs could offer a considerable degree of protection against the variant. You look at the third dose, you increase the levels of neutralizing antibodies against all 
the variants. And this also has an increase in levels of memory B cells and T cells, which strongly suggest that boosters will give you cross protection against the number of variants. Although we haven't proven it yet, there's every reason to believe that if you get vaccinated and boosted, that you would have at least some degree of cross protection, very likely against severe disease, even against the Omicron variant. Right, Goldman Sachs has got its full-year forecast for the U.S. economy. The bank says its Omicron variant uh, will exert a modest downside drag on growth. It's still pretty healthy figures, though. 3.8% this year, down from 4.2% for 2022. The estimate to 2.9% from 3.3%. Now, um, I I thought we were going to do some Sangaban. It looks like that's been put in the rundown, taken out the rundown, and now we're back to Karen at the wall. Steve, I think the market's trump corporate news at this point. So let's just take a quick look at the session that played out Friday on the back of the non-farm payrolls report. It was a day in the red. Uh, market selling off, as you can see, particularly on the tech-heavy Nasdaq. And that is telling you a story about concern on the interest rate story. And we saw it over the course of last week. In fact, over the course of the week, 2.6% fall for the Nasdaq. Uh, this uh, contribution of 1.9%. But three sessions negative out of four for the major indices. A little bit less coming off the Dow, but we did see some support starting to come back into the mix late end of the week around the banks. And uh, that was, uh, again, uh, a factor that's been supportive of the Dow trade. But you can see how elevated the fear gauge is at this point and the selling is uh, very much uh, showing up on the VIX. If we can switch those boards over, you can see we're still holding around that 30 handle where we've risen very steeply towards uh, the end of this curve, 9.7% gain. So we've got that fear gauge uh, flashing red at this point for investors or showing signs of concern versus where we've really been over the course of the pandemic. It has been somewhat calmer, as you can see. Let me take you to Treasury markets. Uh, the short end, uh, that's where we see a lot of movement, 0.61%. This is the market now pricing in the chance of rate hikes. Three expected from next year, May, uh, the early liftoff. So uh, the market very much regrouping around a movement on monetary policy. The uh, long end, we're at 0.38 on the 10-year and uh, the 30-year, 1.71%. Some concerns here that if we start to tighten at the short end, that we may be impacting longer-term growth. And we've come off a little bit on that yield as a result. Now, Bitcoin, uh, this is where the action was on the weekend. I saw a lot of people tweeting, at least I'm not losing money on stocks over the weekend. At least I can enjoy my weekend. And Bitcoin was one that went on a roller coaster ride. We saw uh, some of the low points uh, during the trade, uh, 41,967 over the weekend. You can see we've picked up from there and uh, trading above 48,800. But it was a wild ride and some are tying this to uh, reset around growth stocks, uh, namely those big technology names. And you can see the correlation as we wound up that Wall Street trade with the Nasdaq falling fairly aggressively. The Bitcoin just carried on over the weekend and some of the other cryptocurrencies as well, which perhaps uh, just begs some questions of where to from here if we are talking about the potential for three rate hikes next year. How will Bitcoin fare in that type of rate scenario? I want to take you to the oil markets, uh, what we've got at this stage. Brent and WTI crude both bouncing, and you can see strongly bouncing at this point. Uh, one of the big stories in the market was that uh, the Saudis, they had raised prices for crude sold to Asia and the United States. So that was a, a positive catalyst after some of the bearish comments we've heard in recent weeks. And, of course, the story playing out with new variants. Let me take you to Asian markets. Uh, this is how they were trading. It is patchy. Lots of big themes playing out. Uh, Japanese stocks are uh, moving south in line with Wall Street 
close eye on the property developers uh, around Evergrande at this point. And I think a uh, slightly even bigger theme from there, the technology names and any disconnect we're now starting to see with listings in the United States. That is still a huge theme for markets. And you can see the Hang Seng under pressure as a result. Not much movement on some of these other markets. Australia even very much on the flat line at this stage. Jeff. Yeah, let's bring in uh, James Pomeroy, Karen. Thank you. Global economist at uh, HSBC. Uh, James, very good morning to you. As we pick through the right. bones then of this non-farm payrolls report, is it yeah. clear, even though as the headline number disappointed, that the underlying trend growth in employment in the United States is still solid? Yeah, I think it, it, it is. And if you look at that report in itself, you can look at the household survey and you had more than a million people um, saying they're now employed. That's clearly um, quite good news. But also, you know, you're alluding to it earlier, looking beneath the headlines of these employment numbers. You just need to look at some of the other data that's in that report or in other labour market data in the US. At the moment, people are quitting their jobs at record rates. You've got an enormous amount of job openings. You've also got a situation where people in leisure and hospitality are seeing wage growth sort of 12, 13% year on year. This is a pretty strong labour market we've got. So if you ignore that um, headline payrolls print and you look at some of the other indicators we've got, they're suggesting a very tight labour market, one where workers have got wage bargaining power, particularly in those low income sectors. And I think that's pretty good news. Can I ask you then about the bond market reaction to the data? Because as we've seen here, the 10-year yield has fallen, the two-year yield has risen to anticipate the Fed's move. The curve is flattening here, but the action further out on the curve suggests the market is highly suspicious of a Fed policy mistake at this stage. Do you think that's a fair reading? And if so, how does one negotiate further down the curve? Hmm. It's tricky, right? Because you're in an incre extremely uncertain environment that's created by um, this new variant and the, and the pandemic development. So people are clearly looking at the data for November and saying, OK, that's fine. You know, we had this pretty decent payrolls print. We've had this pretty good labour market data. We also had some really good PMIs um, last week, too. And everyone would sit there and say, OK, this is fine. This is great. This is everything you'd want for a central bank to start um, tightening policy. Um, but, but then you start looking at the, the uncertainty this creates. And, and there's sort of pause, I guess, in everyone's mind at the moment, thinking, you know, we're not 100% certain how this is going to play out in terms of the growth environment. We're not 100% certain how this is even going to play out in terms of the inflation environment over the course of the next 12 to 24 months. And all of that together is creating this massive uncertainty around the pace of tightening, not just from the Federal Reserve, but from central banks um, across the world. And that's a very, very difficult environment um, for investors. So I think what we're seeing at the moment is a lot of people over the last week or so essentially just taking sort of their positions off the table, getting sort of set to, to see what we can learn uh, about this next sort of wave of the pandemic. And then we can see sort of what that really means in terms of the economic outlook. But at least for the next um, couple of weeks, there's an enormous amount of uncertainty over that story, um, a bit beyond the data that we're getting. Yeah, James, let's talk about this price disparity a little bit. We could potentially, and I'm not going to kind of build up too much, but we could potentially have a CPI at a headline rate at the tail end of this week of 7%. And if we've got a 10-year bond trading between 1.35 and 1.38, I've never seen such a disparity in perception over reality in my entire life. 
No, it's it's a good point, and that that gap is is only as you say going to widen out on Friday. You know, by how much? Let's wait and see. But I think what's happening is the bond market is looking at all of these um, reasons for those high inflation numbers and going, well, how persistent are these things realistically likely to be? You know, this is a ten-year bond yield, and this is not sort of the um, November or December inflation print bond yield. And that's a sort of that's the story that we're getting now. If you look at that um, U.S. print we're getting on Friday, a huge amount of the upside or downside surprise we get in that number is going to be what happens to used vehicle prices. Now, should we really be thinking about a 10-year view of where, you know, structurally interest rates should be, inflation should be, those sorts of things, and used vehicle prices? Well, probably not. And that's sort of why you can get some of this disparity. You know, some of the things that are pushing up um, the, this inflation rate in the near term are very much one-off factors. Some of them we know are going to dissipate. You look at some of the energy price um, numbers that are in there that are going to come off almost certainly over the course of the next 12 months, then who knows? Um, um, it's a bit beyond there. And that used, used vehicle price story is really, really interesting at the moment. And I think that's why that disparity can exist, because you've got a sort of all these short term drivers that are pushing up inflation in the near term. And the market essentially is saying, we don't believe that this is going to be a sustained increase in inflationary pressures throughout not just 2022, but 2023 and beyond. And that's why you've got the disparity between the bond yield and what's happening um, in terms of that near term inflation story. Absolutely. Absolutely. But even in, in when we look at the Fed funds rate, we're looking at two, possibly three rate hikes in 2022 as well. Do you think risk, asset, risk assets are taking that on board at all? And, and for this, maybe we can draw our attention to the corporate bond market, which is pricing off those lower bond yields. And I just wonder if is in pricing in way too a benign situation for rates. There's an argument to suggest that maybe markets have got a little bit used to very low rates, but it's also worth stressing that, yes, we're talking about rate rises, but we're still talking about a very, very low level of rates. Now, on our forecast and a lot of um, the consensus forecast and market pricing too, you're looking at a Fed funds rate in 2023 of 1%, and you're talking about growth numbers, real growth numbers during this period of 3 4 5%. Now, this is not a bad environment for risk assets. It's still a low Growth, sorry, a low rate environment. Even if rates go up, they're still low. It's still a solid growth story. We've got consumers across the world who are sat on a, a bucket of savings. We've got that low um, wage group, um, high income growth, like I was saying, like this leisure and hospitality workers. We've got supply that's been constrained, but if that was to come on online and people could buy stuff again at the speed they want to, you could see a relatively robust growth story through next year. So yes, rates could go up um, um, even quicker than we're expecting, even quicker than the market is currently expecting. And that could unsettle a few people. But equally, at the same time, we could have an environment next year where the global growth story is still relatively robust. Inflation rates are coming down a little bit. And that's actually quite a neat environment. Even if rates are going up, they're still low. And that growth story, we think, is relatively solid. James, if we're talking about a central bank in the United States that tightens next year, one, two, maybe even three rate hikes, what does it mean for other places around the world, particularly emerging mm. markets and developed markets, where we have seen very low vaccination rates, let alone the economic recovery on the back of it? I think it's been a really interesting, I guess, six months for central banks, because you, you, if you just take the developed world, you've got these sort of buckets of central banks who have gone really, really hawkish and almost their neighbours going really, really dovish. So if you look at Sweden and Norway, and the Norwegians tightening, the Swedes telling us they're not interested for a couple of years. You look at the same story and with Australia and New Zealand. So this is telling us that, you know, at least in the developed world, this is much more of a sentiment thing, is how central banks are approaching this. And what you could start to see is some of those central banks completely change the way they're thinking about 
about the outlook. So you've seen this then happen in some emerging markets. So you've had the likes of Poland who have suddenly just out of the blue gone, you know what, we were telling you we're not interested in hiking, but we've had a change of heart. Now we're going to tighten aggressively. And that's a challenge for investors, right? Because you've got these central banks who are sat there telling us, look, we think inflation is only going to be transitory. We think um, that, that, that there's no reason to tighten into these short-term inflation stories, but suddenly something changes. And if you change your, your mind on these things, suddenly your tightening becomes much, much sooner, and much quicker. You look at what's happening in Norway and New Zealand, just rate hikes every quarter. And I think that's a big risk in terms of what could happen to some of these developed market central banks. I'm talking about the likes of Australia and Sweden here, where, they, where the, the shift happens um, a, a lot sooner. If you look at somewhere like the Bank of England, we think that, that they, they hold fire um, next week and they go um, in February. And again, this slow, slow pace of tightening. But if you look at what's happening in the in the emerging world, you've already had a load of central banks outside of Asia who have tightened relatively quickly. Now, you look at what's happening in Central Eastern Europe, you look at what's happening in Latin America, central banks who have seen either a relatively decent economic rebound or high inflation or both and are opting to tighten. But in Asia, central banks haven't been able to do that because they haven't had that pickup in inflation. They haven't had um, the, that strong growth recovery. And yes, we think that can happen over the course of next year. And with the Fed tightening, that should give some central banks an opportunity to raise rates just a little bit. But we're still talking about 25, 50 basis points in most of Asia. So the, the real rate rise stories in the world have been happening in Latin America and in Central Eastern Europe. And outside of that, actually, this story is still one where rates may be going up, but only just a little bit. James, good to have you on this morning. Thanks for walking us through the numbers. Uh, James Pomeroy, uh, Global Economist from HSBC. OK, we need to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. The new government in Germany is weighing its options in terms of uh, COVID vaccine mandates. Uh, but not a lot of people seem to be happy about that, particularly the unvaccinated. We'll tell you more about that story when we come back. And for more on the fallout from what Jeff has described as delicious non-farm payrolls report, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. Protests against coronavirus vaccine passports have erupted across Europe, with one demonstration in Brussels turning violent on Sunday. Tear gas and water cannon were deployed against the demonstrators after they attacked police with rocks and fireworks. New measures were introduced on Friday to curb the spread of the virus, including mandatory face coverings for most primary school children. Belgians must show a COVID-19 pass in order to access bars and restaurants. Italy will require a so-called super green pass for entry to restaurants, cinemas and sporting events starting today. The reinforced green pass comes after the country tries to curb the spread of the Omicron variant and can only be obtained through vaccination or recovery from COVID. Cases of the Omicron variant have been confirmed in at least 38 countries according to the WHO, but no fatalities have been reported. 
European nations saw cases surge over the weekend, mostly in the UK, Denmark and France, where authorities reported Omicron cases tripling in just 48 hours. Measures have varied across the continent from lockdowns in Austria and the Netherlands to lighter rules here in the UK, Steve. Well, the rules are changing all the time in the UK. Uh, once again, travellers to the UK will be required to take a COVID test before departure uh, as of 5am Central European time tomorrow morning. Previously, travellers had only been required to self-isolate within two days of arrival until they tested negative. Now, speaking on Saturday, the Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, sought to allay fears the government would introduce another lockdown this Christmas. I think people should carry on uh, with their plans and they should uh, make plans to enjoy Christmas as usual. Uh, the guidelines that have always been there are, are still there, the ones we set out a few months ago, even before this variant. Of course, we've known all along that COVID and, and flu, for that matter, it likes the darker, colder days that winter brings. So you know, just uh, follow the guidelines that are there about you know, hand hygiene and uh, having ventilation where you can. But most of all, enjoy yourself. Sajid Javid there. Well, let's talk about the situation in Germany. The new coalition government is planning to make COVID-19 vaccines mandatory for some jobs, including those in medical practices, beginning perhaps in March. This, according to draft legislation seen by Reuters, the Social Democrats, Greens and Free Democrats are set to form the new government on Wednesday, and there are likely then they're likely to present the vaccine mandate soon after. Acting German Chancellor Angela Merkel has warned there is only one way out of the pandemic. Lassen Sie sich impfen. Get vaccinated. No matter whether it is the first vaccination or a booster. Every vaccination helps. It gives the vaccinated person security, at least excellent protection against a severe course of the disease. And the highest possible vaccination rate helps us all as a country put the pandemic behind us. Once again, I would like to thank those who are being reasonable and understanding in this difficult time, who are playing by the rules. Out of self-protection, as much as out of care of others. They make up the vast majority in our country. They show every day the civic spirit that is so wonderful about our country. And without which no chancellor and no government can achieve anything. Outgoing Chancellor Angela Merkel there. Well, let's get the latest on the case count in Germany and how easy or otherwise it'll be to get these new plans through. Out to Annette. Well, thank you, Jeff. Well, the cases are actually ticking higher despite already measures in place. So it's not like an exponential growth, but they are also not going down. So what we are going to see is the swearing in of Olaf Scholz this week on Wednesday, uh, most likely, um, and then perhaps stricter measures even than those who are already taken, because clearly it seems that it's not enough. It's interesting also opinion polls are showing that the majority of Germans, they want to have a complete lockdown. They, want, they are concerned about the situation like it is uh, now, as ho hospitals are starting to get overwhelmed and at that high rate, uh, the likelihood that there will be a complete lockdown over Christmas is actually increasing. And that is 
a worry to many Germans here on the ground. Um, what happens in terms of politics is that we are having we have seen the um, the the FDP and also the SPD over the weekend agreeing to the coalition contract. We are waiting for the Greens today to also officially agree to the contract that is expected at one o'clock um, CET and this could still be a, a wild be a wild card because there is a part of the Green Party which is uh, obviously not agreeing to the contract but it doesn't seem that the majority of the Green Party will um, not agree so I guess this the the coalition building can go according to plan what is still not known who is getting which ministry also from the SBT because they are also announcing the minister is only as of today. It's a bit of a tricky one because they want to have parity between women and men as well. The health minister is still not in place, which is, of course, given the COVID situation, a very critical ministry. Um, so you see, there's still a lot of uh, movement on the political side, and there could also be more announcement uh, in, in the fight against COVID after Olaf Scholz will be sworn in by Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.